please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So there's a couple of obvious transitions from the NBL to the NBA. Tory Craig, former Brisbane Bullet, who averaged 15 and 8 in 28 games for the Bullets in 2017, also a winning Defensive Player of the Year, is going to win a championship ring no matter what because he played for both Milwaukee and Phoenix this season. He's this season's Dion Waiters. Yep. I absolutely, or Anderson Varejao. There's been a few over the years. I hate this rule. It's crazy. So he hasn't played with them since March when he was traded for cash. Yes. And he's going to get a ring no matter what. I hope that Phoenix win it so that he actually gets a legitimate ring. Well, we'll get there. I suspect but, they probably will. But yes. And the other obvious one is John Mooney. So he played for the Wildcats and we saw a lot of him. I saw all but two Wildcats games this season. Admittedly, two losses. I decided to not go back and watch. So we're decent authorities on a scout for him. He's been signed to the Bucks Summer League team, but apparently also the Utah Jazz are sniffing around. What do you reckon? Would he make a good pro? It's hard. So I think his, I don't want to say lack of athleticism. I think he is a decent athletic player, but in terms of the NBA world, I don't know if he's quite athletic enough. And I'm not sure really if his range is going to go quite far enough for him to be a stretch four. So look, he's a great professional. For someone his age, he, I mean, he comes across as being far more mature than a 23-year-old. Oh, he's mature beyond his years. And his professionalism as well and playing within the system and deferring to stars like Bryce Cotton is what I think will put him in good stead in the NBA. So he averaged 17 and 11, 17 points, 11 boards, had countless double-doubles, nearly won every game. The highest rebounder in the competition. That's his biggest strength for mine, his rebounding. I think his... Back to the basket game needs work. It does. I think his face-up game's decent. I think he has enough range to be a stretch for in the sense that he doesn't fall in love with the three, so he takes good shots when he's open. So I think he'd be a serviceable pro in the NBA. So, you know, 15 minutes a game, getting lots of rebounds, sitting in the dunker spot, playing fairly honest defense, playing decent help defense. He'll, I think he could he could help a team. He'll be a really good guy as a secondary option. So yes. one thing we found out in the final series is that when he is the primary guy, he struggles. Yes. But if he is surrounded by a Bryce Cotton or obviously in the NBA, there's going to be countless guys. Who well, that's right. So if it's Utah, Donovan Mitchell and those sort of players, if it's the Bucks, you know, Giannis, Middleton. So he's not Drew, going to be us. Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. Well, well, he's not known for his scoring. He's, sure. he's had a few good games in the playoffs scoring-wise. True. he's never going to be expected to be a star in the NBA. And that's why I think he could be quite a good pro in the NBA. So I I think he could help a team. I was very bullish on him early in the season. He did taper off a little bit at the end, but I I do still think he could be a good pro in the NBA as an honest backup doing that blue collar stuff that teams need. Kind of think of him maybe as like a poor man's Mason Plumley. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Not as good a passer as Mason. Maybe not quite as as bouncy, but... That sort of guy. He's going, yeah. to, he's going to make good decisions most of the time. Absolutely. So first of the NBA conference finals that we're going to talk about is the Eastern Conference. So we had the Milwaukee Bucks defeating the Atlanta Hawks in six games. Yes, we've had an entire conference finals for both sides <laughs> since our last proper recording. And I think, look, I, I think every game can kind of almost be summed up in a sentence. So game one was the shimmy game. <laughs> Trey Young had 48 and 11 to upset the Bucks in game one, including that little shimmy at the top of the key before he hit that three from front on. So the first game in NBA history in terms of conference finals with 45 and 10 from one player. 
he killed him in the pick and roll. That's what it was. It was basically he was either getting wide open looks for three when the guys were were switching on to him or he was finding guys roll into the basket. It's, yeah, the shimmy game, is a that's a great name for it. Game two is the everyone plays game. The Bucks steady the ship in a 34-point blowout on the back of a 20 to nothing run in the second quarter, which means that both teams played 15 players. 30 guys suited up in that game. This was the ultimate game of making those adjustments. So obviously, as I just mentioned, the Bucks got killed in the pick and roll in game one. Game two, everything collapsed. As soon as Trey Young was getting into the lane, the defense and the zone around him just kind of collapsed on him. He had nine turnovers in that game, most of them in the third quarter. So yeah, they were just getting easy runouts. It was like watching the same play on loop. Trey Young gets into the lane, tries to force a pass out, turnover, Bucks layup. And it shouldn't have been a revelation by this stage that, hey, make everyone else beat you. <laughs> Collapse on Trey, yep. make everyone else beat you. Yep. Game three was the Chris Middleton fourth quarter game. So he had 20 in the fourth, outscoring the entire Atlanta team who only managed 17 in that quarter. Trey Young scored 35, but he stepped on a ref's foot and it did kind of change the whole series or it certainly set the series much more towards a Bucks win. And the thing is, the Hawks couldn't have asked for a better start to this game. Inside four minutes, they were up 15-2. to two. Giannis had two fouls. They were up 25-10 to 10 halfway through the first quarter. They were absolutely cruising. Trey Young was starting to attack from different angles as well, so he wasn't giving the Bucks the same looks which he was, he was doing in game two. So they weren't able to collapse on him in the paint. But yeah, then Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday stopped settling for threes and started getting into the paint and getting better looks for themselves. And yeah, as you say, the the Trey Young stepping on the ref's foot moment was catastrophic for the Hawks. Game four was the Lou Williams game. I think it was his first ever playoff start. Atlanta outscored the Bucs 25 to 8 after Giannis had an injury of his own, hyperextending his knee in the third, and boy, it did not look pretty, did it? I don't know how he hasn't ended up with a, a torn ligament or something worse than just... Well, it's, it's possible he has and they're keeping it secret. Mm, not true. a lot has come out. We don't know. They could be foxing with Phoenix to try and make them game true, plan for true. it. True. Luke Budenholz has said that it's looking good. I don't think he'll play games one or two. He may be back for game three, but look, you're right. It could very easily be he's done for the season. We might not see him till this time next year. Oh, it was an ugly looking injury. Yeah, Very was. ugly. And you kind of thought at that stage that, well, maybe that's the series over for Milwaukee because... Well, that's what kept it interesting, wasn't it? Even though Young was injured, Milwaukee now have their best player injured. Oh, this yeah. could still go seven. And, and Trey was always going to come back. It's just a case of when and how good he was going to how be. How effective, yeah, yep, yep. Game five is the Brook Lopez game. So Brook had 33 points on 14 of 18 shooting. He also had four blocks. The starters scored 111 of the Bucks' 123 points. Yeah, look, it's worth noting that they got a massive game out of someone like a Bobby Portis. who He was excellent the whole series. Oh, crazy eyes. He had, yeah. A, yeah, had a cracking game. And he barely played prior to this series. I think the biggest stat from that game, though, that was really damning for Atlanta, points in the paint, 66 to 36. So yeah, plus right. 30 well, for Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a huge stat in most playoff games, but this is just an absolute shellacking. And then finally, game six was the Chris Middleton third quarter game. So Chris scored 16 straight in the Bucs' 44-point third quarter. He had 23 in total for the quarter to put Atlanta away and reach the finals for the first time since 1974. So the Bucs actually won and made finals in 
two of their first six years. And they're probably thinking, oh, this is pretty easy. (laughs) But now it's the first time since 74 they've made the finals, punching their ticket. And Middleton, geez, when he catches fire, he is Mm. almost unstoppable. He's got such a quick release and it it comes from a fairly high point as well. So he's able to get it off over bigger defenders at, at the drop of a hat. So I think he is going to be incredibly important for them in this final series if there'd be a chance of beating the Phoenix Suns, who we'll get to in a minute. Oh, and what I loved about this game was he's just a ray of moves. He had a running hook. He had a nice little post move. He was hitting threes from the corner. He just did it all in that game. It was a pleasure to watch. Absolute pleasure to watch. And look, just quickly for the the Hawks, Trey Young joined LeBron James as the only players to average 28 points and nine assists in a single playoff run of at least 15 games in his first playoffs at 22. Oh, yeah. It's super impressive. Huge future. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the Hawks rebound from this in terms of what sort of personnel changes they make, who they re-sign, how they improve, I guess. Yep, absolutely. So the Bucs will be playing the Phoenix Suns, who dismantled the Clippers in six, but it was a very gallant Clippers who had neither Ibaka or their best player and one of the very best players in the league, Kawhi Leonard, for most of it. Yeah, so the last time we recorded, the Suns had taken game one. Game two was an absolute beauty. In sticking with your theme of of calling these games, this was the value game. Oh, yes. (laughs) The value yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even though the last 90 seconds of that game took 33 minutes of real time, this was a cracker. We had a ton of reviews. In fact, they had the same amount of reviews as field goals in the last sort of 90 seconds of the game. But all the reviews weren't necessary. They were all incredibly close calls. It had to be had to be done. But this game came down to one of the craziest and smartest play calls I've seen. Now, I actually love this because the Suns ran a similar play in 2017 against Memphis. There was six tenths of a second left in that game, and Dragon Bender threw a lob to Tyson Chandler right over the top of the rim because the Suns knew that off an out-of-bounds play, there is no offensive basket interference. I'm surprised how many people were surprised about this. It's just common sense. Yeah. You can't score off an inbounds pass. So therefore, obviously, it's not a shot. Yeah. So obviously, it's not offensive goal. I was amazed at how many people didn't realize that. But, you know, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier in the year, the value of someone like Jay Crowder, who has been around. He has all of that experience. He's a really smart player. He makes the right call at that time. And knowing that DeAndre Ayton could outjump anyone on the Clippers. Yep. And Ayton had a number of really big alley-oops. It was a very, you're right, it was a long game, but it was a very entertaining game. Very entertaining. Now, this alley-oop play was a far cry from Anthony Davis's three-pointer last year to beat Denver in game two. But how's this for a crazy similarity? Game two, home team down by a point, game winner by a centre, over a centre from the Balkans, who was a second-round draft pick. <laughs> wow, okay. The centre that hit the shot was a former number one draft pick uh, whose initials include A and D. Both gave his team a 2 nothing lead over a team that, have, that had never made the NBA Finals. And Game 3 went to the other team. And game 4 then went to the higher seed. Wow, well, so coincidence of plenty. Absolutely crazy. Wow, well, that's great. And it's got to be said, hats off to the Suns who won both games without Chris Paul, including game one. Devin Booker picked a pretty good time to have his first ever triple-double. Yep, he did. <laughs> so they were 2 nothing at home without Paul, which was a good effort. So game three obviously was the return of Chris Paul. 
And unfortunately for Devin Booker, it was the unveiling of his mask because of the headbutt from Patrick Beverly. Seriously, fuck that guy. I can't stand him. <laughs> I've got to say, I really enjoyed watching him this playoffs, actually. Oh, I can't stand him. I don't, I don't love him, but uh, he, he made it interesting. He mm. made it very interesting. And all of a sudden, it kind of looked like it had changed everything, though. The, the backcourt of Paul and Booker combined for the equal third worst field goal percentage from a starting backcourt in the last 50 postseasons with a minimum of 40 attempts. Wow. Okay. Just 25% from the field. Gee. They were terrible. Gee. So can we talk about that Beverly foul quickly? So who is it? Was it Crowder or someone or Aiton? Someone big has set a screen. Paul's kind of scissored his legs. Beverly's tried to go through the screen and Paul's gone to the line for three. They've called it a flagrant. What do you reckon? Yeah, I don't agree with that personally. I think it was an unfortunate circumstance where I don't think Beverly actually knew. And I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say if I think it is because I don't like Pat Beverly. But you made that clear. I don't think that he had any idea where Chris Paul was. So I don't really think there was any intent at all to, you know, run underneath him, knock him to the ground, hurt him, any of that sort of stuff. It's just incredibly unfortunate. But I agree. I watched that footage. I reckon, no no exaggeration, I reckon I watched it about 25 times. And I think you're right. I think Paul hadn't started shooting yet. So for that reason, it can't be a flagrant for mine. He was just fighting through a screen and Paul knew a foul was coming, which is why he shot, which is what so many players do in the modern NBA these days. But there was a play earlier in the game that is also really important for mine. So Boogie was straight up and down. And by the way, speaking of Bobby Portis in the other series, Boogie had some pretty impressive minutes or some purple patch quarters, <laughs> let alone games, just, yeah. just quarters. Um, but there was one where he was straight up and down, did absolutely nothing wrong, and Paul contorted his body, scissored his way into a foul and went to the line for it. And it absolutely shouldn't have. He established the contact. And these are the fouls I absolutely hate. And that, to me, is all the more reason why it shouldn't have been a flagrant because Paul does that shit all the time. Mm. Look, let's get straight back into game four. Game four, look, firstly, the Clippers should be fined as an organisation for those those silvery grey uniforms they wore. (laughs) And, look, they were perfectly fitting for how ugly a game this was (laughs) for the the most part. I mean, it was one of those ones where you can have an exciting game – with teams missing the vast majority of their shots. I mean, this one, if, if you look, the teams combined to go nine for 51 from three. The Clippers were five of 31. Paul George, one of nine. Reggie Jackson, two of nine. The Clippers actually went six minutes and five seconds without a single point at one stage. This one was hard to watch, certainly for most of the second half, I will say. so. But this was the game when it became clear to me that DeAndre Ayton is actually the Suns' most important player. Now, oh, he's super important. Now, it's not to say that he's their best player, but he's definitely their most important. 19 points, 22 rebounds. Oh, beasts on the boards. Absolute beasts. And the percentage that he's shooting is just almost unheard of. Yeah, they are video game numbers. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think this is the point where I actually realised how much I love DeAndre Ayton as a player. I always admired him. I always enjoyed what he did. But this was, yeah, in the midst of all that ugliness, he was... And just a shining light. I want to take this opportunity again to say he reminds me of what Great. Greg Oden could have been. Yeah. He, he even kind of moves like him. There's some, there's some physical similarities. But, it, yeah, just uh, that's that's kind of what 
Portland were expecting Greg Oden to be if he wasn't made of glass and didn't have one leg longer than the other. Yep. Yeah. No, Aiden's a joy to watch. Yeah. As is this Phoenix team. Now, game five, it's kind of hard to put a name on it. You kind of want to put the Paul George game on it, but it kind of almost was the Marcus Morris game. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's he's had an up-and-down playoffs, but when he's played well, he's played very well. But he was 6 of 6 for 13 points in the first seven minutes of the game, 20 points in the first half after only having 25 in the first four games. He kind of set this game a lot early, and it was the role players. It was Morris, it was Reggie Jackson, DeMarcus Cousins, had 44 points at halftime on 18 to 28 shooting. This was the only game the Clippers actually won the points in the paint. They were plus 26 in this one, and they won the game easily. And then Paul George went mental in the second half and finished with 41 and 13. And and it's the role players and the veterans that have made it still quite an interesting conference finals for the more hardcore fans like us. So a lot of the casual fans probably stopped watching once Trey and Giannis went down in that series. And, you know, they might not have watched games one and two without Chris Paul, for example, which would be a shame because game two was an absolute all-timer. But guys like, I mean, Reggie Jackson, he has a career average of 12 points per game. He's averaged 18 this playoffs. Jay Crowder's really useful. Boogie Cousins has had flashes, as we mentioned. Campaign's been excellent. and, And he's been part of a reason why when you talk about some of their other players struggling, the role players have lifted up the team. He blocked Boogie on one play. Yeah. Very impressive. <laughs> so, yeah, so so as a, as a hardcore fan, it's still been a really interesting conference finals. Yeah. And just quickly going back to Paul George and how good this game was, only LeBron James, Patrick Ewing, and Will Chamberlain have had 40 and 10 on 70-plus percent shooting in an elimination game. Yep. He was spectacular. Yep. But it was short-lived. No more way off pay. Well, not, not, <laughs> not for that game anyway. But no, then obviously it all came crashing down in game six, which was an absolute blowout. It's actually the first time the Clippers lost this postseason when Marcus Morris shot 50% or more. Wow, okay. Eight and one. But yeah, how's this for, for a crazy little thing? In 2018, Chris Paul had a chance to make his first conference finals. Oh, I saw this one. He scored 41 points with no turnovers. Yeah. In game six, he had the chance to make his first finals. 41 points and no turnovers. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. It is, it is. And he just, he controlled everything about that game down the stretch. I think when he came in, they were down by seven. And then a few minutes later, he'd gone on this ridiculous run where he had like 20 something points. And he had, well, he had something like 30 or 32 in the second half. Yeah. It was amazing. They couldn't stop him. He would get to his spot. He would, he was hitting threes over guys' faces. And then it just resulted in one of the most childish ejections you'll ever see. Oh, Beverly. Yeah. Yep. And yep. again, I stand by it. He's a dickhead. Yeah. And by the way, during the reviews in, I think it was game two, when he was sitting on the scorer's table, it's like, could you be any more Ron Artest-like? <laughs> Meta yeah. world piece, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that was, a, that was a cheap shot. Absolute cheap shot. It yeah. was. I'm actually disappointed that no one stepped in, though. Like, if well, they, they don't want suspensions heading into the finals. They've just won by what? A sizable, it was it was a blow, it was more than 20. Oh, yeah. They, they've just won by a lot. They don't want suspensions. But a lot of people forget, he actually pushed Devin Booker in one of the games as well. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was face-on rather than in the back. But, he yeah, he had a few cheap shots throughout the series. If I'm Dario Saric, I step in and I give him a shove. I, I, take, a, I take a flagrant one or a technical or yeah, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. You know, I don't hurt the guy, but I step in for my, my player in, in Chris Paul. That, that disappointed me. Speaking of veterans, good to see Saric play some valuable minutes too because I thought he's been a bit disappointing earlier in the playoffs. And also Zubac for the Clippers. We've kind of 
been pretty hard on him throughout the playoffs, but he gave them some really valuable minutes before he got injured. He, he did play hurt as well. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, look, it's it's tough. But there is a bit of fallout for this potentially. Paul George, 0 for 6 in the series on game time or go-ahead field goals in any fourth quarter. If you take out his game five explosion, he shot 36% over the other five games. Yeah, okay. So really not great. I mean, look, he was probably gassed and he played that many minutes. Oh, yeah. He, he played nearly 42 minutes a game, I think, on average. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, I mean, he's expected to do that. He's paid max money. He's the second star. He did what you expect of a star. So I don't think we need to get too excited about him because <laughs> he lived up to expectations yeah. to a point. Breaking those free throws in game two wasn't very good. It wasn't helpful, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the thing, I guess, you know, you've got to couple that with Kawhi Leonard not playing in the series. I found it interesting that he watched a couple of those games from the box rather than from... Oh, the how, how was the Mike Breen call? Did you see that? Which one? Oh, so Kawhi's at the game, and I can't remember what happened, but the camera goes on onto him, and Mike Breen goes, oh, and Kawhi goes crazy or something like that. Oh, and he was he, being oh, sarcastic. Yeah, <laughs> being completely, because yeah. he was just deadpan. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But how's this, though? From all accounts, he was unhappy with the Clippers' medical staff feeling that they had mm. misdiagnosed and underplayed the extent of his injury. Mm. Sound familiar? Deja vu, yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah. 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 So at what point do teams start looking at this sort of stuff and think, is he actually worth it? He's a total diva. Well, there, there's all those stories about him catching helicopters from San Diego, holding up team flights. He's difficult, mm. but he's also very good. He's one of many stars that are a complete pain in the ass, isn't he? I mean, half of Brooklyn. There's already word that he goes to Dallas or Miami next year, which would be great for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We can get all of our... Well, I'll tell players. you what. If that happens, I'd be amazed because the, the narrative always was that he wants to be in California so he can be close to San Diego. So if he does bail after only two seasons... It would be weird. It would be weird. Yep. A couple of other things quickly. Marv Albert's last ever call. Yes. 55 years. He commentated Wilt Chamberlain games. Mm. Um, one of those famous calls, a spectacular move, you know. From the 91 finals. The, the old one that every kid did in the playground, not only mimicking Jordan's move, but also mimicking the commentary while they did it. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a shame that his last game was a blowout. It was a bit of a fizzer. And then the other one is Steve Barmer. So he basically nearly choked a bloke in celebration during the previous series. In this series, he was rubbing those guys' uh, thighs very vigorously. Did you see that footage? Thankfully not. <laughs> Pretty funny. Oh All over Twitter. Like, everyone's using it as a gift meme now. Oh, <laughs> it's good. Well, All right, we're going to get on to this grand final. Phoenix and Milwaukee. So I have to say, this is the most excited I've been about a final series since the Spurs and Pistons in 2005. Phoenix never won a championship. Milwaukee last won it in, what, 1971? Yep. Phoenix won both games in the regular season by a point. One of which went to OT. This was the best possible result. The big if in this series, obviously, is Giannis's health. He owned the Suns in both of those games, 80 points at 60% from the field. He even shot nearly 84% from the line in those games. The Suns don't really have anyone who can go with him that well. Maybe Jay Crowder, but he's undersized. So, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting series. This Phoenix obviously want to play a ton of pick and roll. Milwaukee kind of figured out Atlanta's fairly quickly, but... Chris Paul's a whole different ball game there. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this series? I'm really worried about that injury. Speaking of Jay Crowder that you just mentioned, so he's played six games in the NBA Finals <laughs> last season. Yeah. yeah. It is the third lowest behind the 1947 Stags and Warriors series, Stags, whoever the fuck they were, and the 1977-76s and Trailblazers series that had zero games finals experience 
And the league was much younger in both of those instances. And it is worth noting that Crowder is the only one in this series that has any finals. That's yeah, exactly. Those six no, games last year, that's it. No one else has played in it. Yeah. So so that's interesting. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the NBL about it's it's good for the health of the league when new teams are winning. Or not new, but you know what I mean. Teams that haven't won for a while. Oh, Stewie, we were so close to a Herta Payne Cup. <laughs> Kevin Herta for Atlanta and campaign for the Suns. Yep. Anyway, I look, I'm going to pick Phoenix in seven. They'll probably win in less, but I'm just leaving the door ajar for Janice to come back. I'm basically picking Phoenix on the basis that they're healthier. That will separate it for mine. That's fair. I've got the Suns in six. Uh, they could actually go from the worst record in the West to champions in two years. I've got a couple of little things to kind of round this off. DeAndre Ayton joins Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, Kenyon Martin, and Kyrie Irving as the only number one draft picks to make the finals in their first postseason, ah. which I thought was kind of cool. Yep. Sadly, this is the end to the 37-year streak of a <laughs> former teammate of Shaquille O'Neal playing in the finals. Surely a streak that will never be bettered. Ah, uh, yes. And I'm going to finish up with a tweet from several years ago that I thought were kind of scary. So, Oh, I've seen this one too. There's a tweet from a guy named Jarrett Plummer from 2016 that said, 2021 NBA Finals, Bucks versus Suns, Game 7, Bucks win 123 to 115. Yeah. I wonder how close that will be. Yeah, that'll be very interesting. That would be really, really scary. Oh, that'll be crazy. Yeah. The odds of a Bucks suns NBA Finals, if you put even probably 20 bucks on it before the season started, you would have made a bit of money off that. Yeah. And just quickly before we round out the NBA, just want to point out how unlucky these playoffs have been so far. Here is a list of the players that have been injured in these playoffs in terms oh, of key gosh. players. Yeah, yeah. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Trey Young, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. With the exception of Giannis, that's pretty much an, an American international team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It basically uh, and, and Joel Embiid, I guess. Speaking of international team, quickly, Ben Simmons has officially pulled out of the Olympics for Australia. No surprises there. I actually did a lot of homework. I listened to a lot of Philadelphia-based sports podcasts and that sort of thing. They're not happy about it. They hate being embarrassed. They feel like he embarrassed the team. And I heard one of the talk show hosts saying that they wouldn't be satisfied if he hit a game winner in a game seven. That's how off him they are. I call bullshit on that. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) Well, obviously, obviously. The other interesting thing is Stephen A. Smith had apparently this source within the team that was saying all this stuff. There's a lot of speculation that that source is Joel Embiid. Mm. So, yeah. Rumour of the day at the moment, Stewie, is an in-principle deal De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons. Oh, wow. Yeah, interesting. Minnesota are chasing him too. We don't normally address rumours too much, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, well, the rumour with Minnesota is D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. Yes. So I wonder, yeah. I wonder who wins that. But disappointing, though, to see him... You know, pulling out of the Australian international team and sitting at Wimbledon all loved up with this new bird. Maya Jama. All I can say is everyone wants their partner to look at them the way Maya Jama looks at Ben Simmons because she is smitten, clearly. That's like, how we, those photos. That's yeah. how I look at a block of chocolate. <laughs> Guarantee it. I can verify that. Thanks for listening to this Sport Bloke segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport Blokes.